and about the garden and the power of prayer. And just, uh, we, I won't go all the way back, but just to reiterate tonight, um, we said that we all have three enemies that we have to deal with, right? We have to deal with sin, we have to deal with Satan, and we have to deal with self. We don't have to worry about sin. We don't have to worry about Satan because Jesus defeated them. Now we have to accept what he's done for us, right? It don't automatically come, but we have to accept that. And so our sins are forgiven. Satan is defeated. Uh, Jesus was not dealing with Satan in the garden. He dealt with him in the desert. And he defeated Satan in the desert. He defeated sin upon the cross. Uh, it was in the garden that he dealt with himself. And it was there that uh, he was able to overcome his self-will. He prayed on two occasions. Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But he came to the end of himself and said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so uh, tonight, I believe I, we came to the conclusion and that the reason why that we struggle so greatly in public is because we don't have garden experiences. You cannot bypass the garden and have a public uh, success. You have to go into the garden in a lonely, isolated, huh? uncomfortable place, secluded from others. That's the reason I've been, this has been, you know, on me uh, for some time, especially this week and just thinking about it. Everybody is, is wanting in this culture that we live, we like to be connected, right? Uh, we have uh, Facebook that has overcome every other thing on the internet. People connecting on Facebook so that you can have constant communication, relationship, connectivity is what this culture and generation desires and wants. And it, it isn't a bad thing and itself, but it is a thing that separates us or stops us from the garden experience because the garden is a lonely place. Uh, Jesus went to the garden, three would go, and those three fell asleep. And so he was there by himself in this isolated place where that he dealt and struggled with his inner self and came to yield his will to the will of the Father. And so uh, it was there in that place of prayer and intercession. And so uh, I continue to think on that and want to continue our thought on the garden here tonight. Because throughout the life of Jesus... Uh, he retreated from the busyness of ministry. He retreated from everything that was going on in life and he would find himself a place to pray. Some have said that Jesus' ministry was a ministry of prayer because he would, Jesus would move from one place of prayer to another place of prayer. Everything that he did, and uh, he, he flowed in that, that power of prayer, and through that power of prayer, he did everything that he did. Uh, 
whenever we, I look at the scriptures, if you want to jot these down, uh, we can do that tonight. I don't know that I didn't give them to the media people. So, uh, but before he chose his disciples, Jesus spent the night in prayer. In Luke chapter 6 and verse number 12, he said, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. This is before he chose the disciples. He, he, when, he, when he needed new direction after a period of ministry, he would steal away and he would pray. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, it said in the morning, rising up a, a, up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there he prayed. When, his, when fame had come to him and there was, it intensified and whenever he became a, a national uh, attention upon his life, he grew even more into prayer. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, he said, But so much more went their fame abroad of him that great multitudes came together to hear and to be, uh, be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into a wilderness and prayed. Right? And so this speaks to me that the busier my life becomes, the more certain my prayer life must be. Let me say that again. The more busy that my life becomes, the more certain my prayer life must be. Because whenever we get busy, we sometimes the first thing that goes is our prayer life is our time with God, our garden experiences. And so Jesus did just the opposite. The more intense, uh, the more pressure that came, the more busy that his life became, the more certain he was to pray to the Father, right? And before uh, the revelation of who he was to his disciples, we find him praying here in Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. And it came to pass that he was alone praying. His disciples were with him and he asked them, saying, whom do people say that I am? You remember that? He's praying and he, now he's asking his disciples, who do, you, who do people say that I am? And he said, some say you're of Paul. Some are, are say that you are, uh, you know, uh, John the Baptist raised from the dead. And he gives all of these answers. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter rose up and said that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven, right? And, and so he, he prays that even in this time, I don't know that his prayer at this moment was for him as much as it was his disciples to be able to catch what he was about to release to them, to give them this revelation that he is not just a, a, a servant of God, that he's not just a, 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 a teacher, he's not just a healer, he's not just a, a prophet, but he is the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And so he had to cover that with prayer so that they could catch it in that moment. It was in a, a season of transfigure, a, a season of prayer, a prayer retreat, if you will, that the transfiguration took place. In Luke chapter 9, again, in verse 28, and it came to pass about the eighth day after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, uh, the fashion of of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and uh, glistery. He is here uh, on the mountain of transfiguration. This revelation, this experience that they had came during times of prayer. I want you to hear me and, 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 and and hear real close tonight. I thank God for the gifts and the ministry gifts that of the body of Christ. I thank God for the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist. I thank God for ministry gifts such as we have here in this house, playing musical instruments and singing songs of praise and worship. But I want to say to you tonight that the most profound experiences that you will have in God will be in isolated times of prayer. It will be in those times of of interceding and seeking his face, perhaps even alone, that he will reveal himself to you in measures that you will not get anywhere else. That's the reason why that we must pray. That's the reason why we must seek his face is because thank God for those things. But my concern is this, is that, that the church, the church of this day, has come to a place to that they come to church to hear from God instead of coming to church to get a confirmation from God. It used to be that when we came to church, we came to receive confirmation of what God had spoke to us in times of prayer. Huh? And then we would, we would hear the word of the Lord. We would hear a worship. We would hear a testimony. We would hear the ministry that was going forth in the, in the house of the Lord. And it would bring confirmation to what we had read or what we had prayed throughout the week. But now it seems as though that because there is a lack of the garden experience, we have to come into a public place to even hear what God is saying. Amen. But the Bible says, let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And so uh, thank God that we can have the gifts, right? Everybody understands what I'm saying, huh? (laughs) Thank God for the gifts. But we should be hearing from God on a daily basis that brings us to a a, a public place that we can hear a, a confirmation spoken over our lives to say an amen to that which we have been praying or believing for throughout the week. Amen. The disciples were marked by their exposure to the life of Jesus until they carried on this type of lifestyle. My thing is this, is if Jesus felt the need to pray, huh? If he felt the need to get away 
and to call on the Father, he being the Son of God, then certainly today we need a prayer life. Amen. We need a prayer life. The disciples were marked by this exposure of Jesus's life until they would continue on in this prayer. The early church was marked by a life of prayer as well. When we look into the scriptures, we find that after uh, they pr- uh, the early church prayed after his ascension, whenever Jesus was ascended, when he was lifted up, uh, you know, it, it's interesting to me that they, they knew exactly what to do. They didn't run to and fro. They didn't say, oh my goodness, our, our leader is gone. They just turned and they went to the upper room. And they began to pray. They knew exactly what to do in that upper room. They didn't know what was going to take place, but they knew what to do. They said, we're just going to continue doing what he taught us to do, and that is to pray. And so in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascends up into the heavens, the first thing that is written and recorded of this New Testament church is that they were praying. They all continued in one accord, praying and supplic- with prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with the brethren. That time of prayer uh, preceded the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? That was the prayer meeting that, that brought in the, the next move of God into the earth, which, which was the, the Holy Spirit ascending upon the earth. And so we know that that's what took place. And because of that prayer meeting, Acts chapter 2 took place, right? And when they were, and the, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came that sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the place where they were sitting with cloven tongues of fire. It set upon all of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. This experience of the Holy Spirit coming into the earth was a, a, a response to the early church praying. They prayed when persecution came. They didn't just pray in good times. They prayed in bad times. When they were persecuted there in Acts chapter 4, they were being persecuted and and, uh, all this persecution had come against them and they prayed. They prayed before the persecution came. They prayed while it was going on and they prayed after it. Huh? They were consistent in their prayer life. It wasn't whenever God seems to be blessing me, I'm going to pray. It wasn't even, uh, well, if trouble comes, then I'll pray. They said, we're going to pray in the good, we're going to pray in the bad, and we're going to pray in the, in the after it's all over because this is what we do. We pray, right? We pray. And so they had... Uh, this experience with God that they knew how to get out of a situation was the same thing that they did while they had no situation going on. <laughs> and what concerns us today is that, that sometimes we, we don't pray like we should unless something's bad going on. 
right? Unless we have difficult times, unless pressure's on us, and then we'll pray. It's all right to pray then, but we should be praying all the time. They prayed when discord came to the church in Acts chapter 6. When the disputes threatened to divide the church along ethnic lines, they responded in prayer. Right? You remember this? Whenever they, this, they came to the disciples and they said that, uh, that there was a division between the Grecians and the, uh, and the Hebrews, right? And they, they felt like that they were being uh, ostracized because they was of an uh, ethnic group. Right? And, and what did they do? They said, let's pray about it. Huh? Let's pray about it. And so they went to praying about this situation. And then after they prayed about it, they, they said, it's not good for us to leave, leave the, the ministry and wait on tables. So we're going to put people over that. And they didn't just say, well, uh, you know what, Brother Jack, he's faithful, so let's just put him in. Brother C.T., he's a good man, let's put him in. They said, let's pray about it. And they prayed. And as they prayed, the Holy Spirit gave them a men that was full of the Holy Spirit to take care of this business. (coughs) Perhaps some of our our, our situations could be resolved if we would just pray about them before we decide to do it. Right? They prayed about decisions that they made. How many times do we make critical decisions and we don't pray about them before we make them? Will God hear us and help us afterward? Yes, but wouldn't it be good if we talked to him before so we didn't have them? Right? They prayed in the midst of revival. Others might have shouted. They may have rejoiced. They may have jumped in, in for glee and all of that. And, and that's all right. But whenever revival was going on, they said we must pray. In Acts 8 and verse 14... It says this, and now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And so they was praying during the midst of revival because they knew that they had the heart of God, but they wanted to keep the heart of God. Right? And they so they wanted to continue to walk this thing out so that the Holy Spirit would lead them and guide them even though they knew they were in the right place at the right time. They knew that the, the key that brought revival, that if it was going to continue, was that of seeking the heart of God. And so it was prayer that they needed and it was prayer that they did. And whenever they, they, they prayed, they seen that there was expansion of the kingdom, that it wasn't just taking place where they were, but it was taking place in Samaria as well. Right? 
And so they took that message to Samaria to, that they may understand God's power in a greater measure and in a greater level. They prayed when death claimed members of the church. When beloved brothers and sisters died, they prayed. Whenever they, uh, in Acts chapter 9, in Joppa, there was a certain woman by the name of Tabitha. Remember? And Tabitha made clothes. And they, they said that uh, whenever she made garments for many of the ladies, and they, whenever they brought Peter there, uh, he, they he asked him, said, uh, you know, he said, here is the clothes, the garments that she's made for the ladies. And when Peter got there, he went over and knelt down before her and he prayed. And he said to her, Tabitha, arise. And the Bible said that she opened her eyes when, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Amen. Uh, so our prayers can revive even dead things. Things that dead, it may be a dead relationship. It may be a dead, it may be a, a dead financial deal. It may be something that looks dead or dormant, but whenever we begin to pray over those things, God can revive that which looks like it is dead and bring it back to life. Is God able to resurrect uh, even uh, dead bodies? Yes, he is. Amen. Yes, he is. There are people, you know, this is, you know, I don't have an issue with, uh, with TV ministry and, and, and all of those things. Uh, but what I come to understand is, is there are people in Africa and in different parts of the nations of the earth that are raising the dead that don't ever get on TBN. Don't nobody know their name, but they're just out there praying the prayer of faith and healing the sick and setting the captive free and raising them up. Amen. Because that's what they know to do. Right. And so they prayed and whenever they had a death and God would raise them up, they prayed when secular leaders oppressed them. When Herod moved in to persecute the church and beheaded James, the apostle and imprisoned Peter. You remember that? <coughs> Excuse me. In Acts chapter 12. Uh, we see that uh, Herod comes and he gets um, he gets James and he beheads him and it pleases the crowd. It pleases the people. And he said, let's go get Peter. And they put Peter in prison, right? And they said, well, you know, it, it's about this Easter time. It's this time of Easter. It's a time of, of Passover. And, and we'll wait till Passover is over. And then we will kill Peter. They put him inside the inner prison with these four uh, squadrons of soldiers. That, and when you study that out, that 16 soldiers that they had around Peter, they was going to make sure he didn't escape. Right? And, and, but, but what was interesting in that latter part of that verse is this, uh, in verse, uh, five, I believe it is, it said, but prayer was made without ceasing by the church unto God. And so we know the story God's because of a response of the church praying, God sends an angel over there to get Peter out. And like you and I would be, Peter was looking for somebody to come. No, he was, he, he was asleep. 
<laughs> I mean, you, you have to have some kind of faith. Because he knew what was about to happen to him, right? He knew what they did to James. He knew he was next. And the Bible said that, that the angel had to smite him on the side. Had to smite him. In other words, he wasn't in just the little days. He was in a coma. He was cutting some Z's, man. And, and the angel had to smite him on the side, wake him up so he could take him out. Right? And, <laughs> and then the angel leads him out by the gate. He, he leads him over to where the church is praying and the church can't believe God answered their prayers. <laughs> he knocks on the door, right? You remember? He knocks on the door and uh, they look out there and say, who is it? And they said, I, I don't know, it, but, but it looks like Peter. <laughs> it, it must be somebody else trying to get break in. It, we can't be Peter. He's in prison. But sure enough, it was God had answered their prayers and brought Peter out. You know, that's just like the God we serve. We can pray and we can believe and we can ask God until it seems like that our faith isn't really what it ought to be. But God will just go ahead and, and do it anyhow. Just to show us that he's God and reveal his power in our lives, right? And so he, he, he showed them his power by the power of agreement. And he showed them the power how that when the church would pray and seek his face, that he would reveal himself in a mighty way. They prayed about their missionary ventures. When the Holy Spirit spoke, they tested the word by seeing a season of prayer. They didn't just jump into things. But they tested it by prayer in Acts 13, 2 and 3. If you notice, I'm just going through Acts here. But, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. They fasted, they prayed, they prayed when bad things happened to them, they prayed when good things happened to them, they prayed when Paul and Silas were beaten in the jail, denied of their rights, and instead of calling their attorney, they prayed. Amen? They prayed. They believed in the power of prayer. The Bible says that God brought them out of that prison and they came out praising God. When did they come out? At midnight. I told you before, midnight only lasts for 60 seconds. Amen. Your midnight only lasts for 60 seconds. And then joy comes in your morning. So, if Jesus had to pray, if the disciples had to pray, if the early church had to pray, where did we get this idea that we don't need to pray? Where did we ever get the idea that we could live this Christian life 
victorious without praying. Whatever gave us the idea that we didn't need this relationship, communication with God, right? And yet, it's the most easy thing to do. It's the most profound results, but yet it is the thing that we do the least. Somebody got into trouble and they said, all we can do now is pray. Somebody asked, said, has it got that bad? A lot of times we don't pray as a last resort instead of praying first, praying through, praying in the end, right? And this is what I want us to do. I know that most of you here tonight, you, you're, you're um, already know the Lord. You already have that relationship. But isn't it true that it's easy to get off of that track of intercession, seeking his face, having that garden experience that we need? We know that we need it, but it's easy to get detoured from it. And every once in a while, we just need, uh, like Paul told Timothy, he said, stir up your mind by the way of remembrance. Just remember what got you here. Remember what will sustain you. And and, and thank God again for the gifts that God gives the church. But that, that gift of prayer and intercession is the most valuable thing that we can hold on to. And we can cherish it. And so uh, we're going to uh, just in this uh, next year, we're going to just dig deeper into the roots of, of uh, prayer and worship. And it's going to be rich. Amen. It's going to be rich and we're going to see wonderful things happen. And so let me just uh, tell you this tonight. And then if there's any special needs, we'll certainly pray for you uh, here tonight. Um, no, we have so many out with sickness and, and affliction, and we're just going to believe God again just on them. But uh, in January 4th, we will begin our time. We always do a time of fasting and prayer, and the 4th through the 25th of January <clears throat> will be our prayer time. Out in the atrium, you'll find these books, Awakening, 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting Guide. Within here, you'll find think why we do what we're doing, but you will also find 21 days of devotion, uh, that of prayer and intercession that will help you on that journey. Uh, we're going to believe God that he is going to speak to us. We're going to do that individually, together, individually. But corporately, on Sunday nights, we will be coming together for intercessory prayer. So on January the 4th, the 11th, And the 18th, we will meet here in the sanctuary for corporate prayer and intercession. And we'll begin believing God uh, just to hear his heart. Amen. Just to hear the heart of God. I believe that as we come together, God will allow us to hear his heart. And we will get his heartbeat and we will know more profoundly what he desires of us and for us. And then on two 
Friday nights on the Friday the 16th and Friday the 23rd, we're going to have midnight prayer. From 10 o'clock till 12 o'clock, we're going to come and intercede and we're going to believe God and we're going to pray. And uh, you say, well, pastor, God can hear me at noon. Yes, he can. But sometimes he requires sacrifice of us. Amen. And so we, we have to press in and we have to make a little sacrifice on our part. And so, uh, you know, we're going to, on those nights, we're just going to go after God for those uh, two hours. And we're going to believe God that we're going to, we, you know, we're not trying to get God to do anything. We just want to hear his heart and we want to hear it clearly. And so we're going to do those two nights of midnight prayer. And then on January the 7th, we're going to be doing something different that, and it's going to be something that's going to last, uh, be all year long. And, uh, we did it on a, on a Thursday night, just as a test run uh, a few weeks ago, but we're going to be doing first pursuit on the first Wednesday night of every month. We'll be coming together for prayer and worship and communion, and we'll be praying for the sick. Man, that's what we're going to do. We're going to come and worship, and uh, there'll be a communion set here. We won't do it uh, corporately, but we will do it as you desire to. You can come with, with a fam- your family, come with friends, whatever you want to do during the time of worship. We're going to be praying and interceding during that time, and then we're at the end, we will conclude with a time of praying for the sick, and I believe that God, we're going to see God do great and mighty things during that time. Amen. It'll be called first pursuit. So don't miss your first opportunity to pursue after God. All right. Praise God. And so those are some things that I know right now that we're going to do uh, as we uh, go further into this year and this time of prayer, we'll get more clarity on that. You can feel free to pick up your prayer guide and get ready for that. And, uh, I don't know that we have all of those ready. So if you could just take maybe one per family right now, and then we will get you what you need before time uh, is at hand. Okay. Praise God. I believe in prayer. I, uh, I confess to you tonight. I confess without fear, unashamedly, whatever I've been able to accomplish in my life has been because I hear God's voice. I hear his voice. If I cannot hear his voice, I'm an empty man. I'm an empty man. But whenever I can hear him and I hear him clearly, I know his voice and I know what to do when I hear his voice. Amen. And so I want us to hear him. He he speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through worship. He speaks to us in many different ways, but I want his voice to be clear. Don't you? I want I want him to define our destiny and make our purpose pointed so that we know the direction, the will, the plan and say, this is the way I'm no my life is supposed to be going. Praise God. Amen. So hallelujah. Do you, anybody here tonight that need special prayer, need a touch of God, need.